Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm your host and narrator, Springheeled Jack, and we're going to get started today after just a few brief disclaimers. First of all, the show might offend you. If you're easily offended, please turn the show off and spare me the negative reviews on the podcast store, or the iTunes store, whatever the fuck you call it, uh, because you won't like the show. This is your first and final warning. Second, I use advertisements in this show that I do not own the rights to. They are the creative property of Rockstar Games. That is all. Your boss is a thief, a bully, and a crook. He expects you to work. That's like slavery. And thanks to popular plebiscite, it's now entirely illegal in our state. Hammerstein and Faust Employment Law. We are specialists in San Andreas employment litigation. With our help, you'll never need to work again. With a well-managed lawsuit, your economic miracle can go on forever. Call us today. Live on the beach tomorrow. Remember, accidents do happen. Why not slip and fall into the good life? This is the real American dream. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps after faking a fall at work and suing everybody into poverty. We'll show you the alternatives when it comes to getting what you deserve from your work environment. Call today or visit our website, HammersteinFaust.com. Hello, my name is Yogi Apetipaka. Yoga is a way of slowly making your mind and body one. But we haven't got time for that. We've got to keep it interesting. We finally made yoga American with bloodlust, failure, and swinging. It's Darwinian yoga. Each class takes you to the edge, and only the strong survive. You not only improve yourself, but feel doubly better because someone else is failing. Darwinian yoga revealed the inner truths. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am your host and narrator, Springheel Jack, and today we're back with part three of The Vampire's Promise by Carolyn B. Cooney. Monday. Althea had dreaded Mondays for a year and a half. The terrible building into which she was forced to walk, alone. The horrible cafeteria in which she was forced to sit, alone. Each room so grim, whether the library or the gymnasium, the English class or the chemistry laboratory. Each room seemed designed as a showcase for other people's friends. Monday. And Jenny will not be coming to school. Althea considered being absent herself, staying in bed all day, or perhaps the rest of her life. But in the end, she got up, dressed, and drove to school and parked. Every move was heavy as lead. Putting the parking brake on left her weak and panting. Pushing down the door locks was like bench pressing. How could she move herself across the pavement? She felt as heavy as the car itself. Except that she had no wheels. She had to pick up each foot and set it down and pick up the next one. Althea trudged forward. Never had the walk seemed longer, the steps higher, the doors heavier. But the door handle was taken from her, and a larger, stronger hand pulled it open for her. Hi there, said a boy cheerfully. How are you, Althea? She did not even recognize him. She didn't even know him. She murmured, thank you, and walked into the gleaming marble foyer. Hi, Althea, called a girl, changing the art artwork of the week exhibit. Hi, Althea, you get the math homework, yelled a voice. She waved, she called, she answered, she even managed to smile or two. The entire school had learned her name. The power of varsity cheerleading. The publicity of standing in front of the entire school for two hours yelling. These kids knew her. They felt loyalty and affection for her. They enjoyed seeing her cheer. She was theirs. Hi, Althea, how are you? 
How are you, Althea? Sit with me, Althea. Her name was used aloud more times that Monday than it had been in years of her life before. Althea. The name rang in the cafeteria. The name bounced off the gym walls. The name was murmured in the library. Althea, as a name, had always both what seemed both odd and stodgy. Now it so sounded beloved and welcome. Fellow cheerleaders called to her. Classmates wanted to chat with her. Unknown kids going down the hall actually congratulated her on a good game Saturday, as if her cheering had brought about the victory. Everyone who had been at the party came up grin grinning and delighted to say what fun it had been. How they had hoped they would have another one soon. And everyone who had not been at the party came up shyly and hopefully, hinting that Althea might include them next time. But Jenny, her friend, was absent. Childhood memories filled Althea like those donuts, heavy and lasting. Jenny and Althea going to the petting zoo, Jenny and Althea playing chutes and ladders, Jenny and Althea buying spring hats and being too shy to wear them, Jenny and Althea taking riding lessons and being in horse shows together, Jenny and Althea drawing up lists of cute boys back in elementary school when there were no such things, and giggling insanely all night long at each other's houses, daring each other to phone a boy. Jenny and Althea cutting each other's hair so poorly one sleepover that Jenny's mother escorted them to the mall hairdresser who was open evenings. Jenny was absent. Althea found herself behaving vaguely to all who spoke her name. Don't be rude, she said to herself. Pay attention. People are talking to you. But curios curiously enough, her distracted manner made her more desirable. She pondered this. The popular person who doesn't have time for you becomes more popular, she thought. She saved up the faces of all who spoke and laughed, thinking, did I earn this? Or did the vampire somehow migrate to each of them and instruct them in their sleep to admire Althea today and tomorrow, next month, next year? Will they forget me as quickly as the weather? Will I vanish like last Monday's sunshine or yesterday's snow flurry? Jenny was absent. Her mind returned continually to that. The vampire will ask me for another one, she thought. Not right away, but soon. Althea changed classes, ate lunch, went to the library, got books from her locker, and wondered who the next one would be. Who? Who will I give him? Who will he take? Like owls fluttering through the halls, their wings hitting her hair, the cry, Who? 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 rang in her ears. I cannot do that again, she said to herself. I can't destroy another person. I can't participate in it anymore. That's all there is to it. You know, Althea, said Ryan's voice, you're more daydreamy than I realized. She jumped, astonished to find she was sitting in a chair and that Ryan was sitting in a chair next to her. He was smiling into her eyes, his hand resting on the chair back. Hi, Ryan, she said, blushing. His hand shifted from the back of the chair to the back of her neck. His fingers were calloused, but his touch was gentle. He touched her skin as if exploring new worlds, lightly tugged her hair and watched what, she, what he was doing, fascinated by his skin against hers. Althea swallowed, thinking of somebody else who liked the backs of necks. Jenny is absent. She took Ryan's hand and held it in her lap instead. He was delighted and looked at their two hands together. He separated her fingers with his and intertwined them, making a row of ten knuckles, her smooth, pale knuckles alternating with his large, knobbly, knobbly dark ones. The school day, he said, managing a laugh, has ended. Did you notice? You want to go for a drive? Maybe pizza? I can always eat pizza, and I can eat yours if you're not hungry. Michael appeared besides him. Holding hands in public, he teased. I'm shocked, Ryan. Get bent, said Ryan cheerfully. We're going for pizza. Ryan pulled Althea to her feet. The library was full of kids doing research papers or homework. All were watching. She felt their eyes. The cheerleader and the football players, the popular girl and the handsome boys. 
the one you dream of being. And it's me, she thought. It's me. The three of them made their way out of school, bumping into one another, laughing, pushing on the steps, sheltering one another against the wind. Althea, confused about why they were a threesome, said aloud, Michael, are you coming too? Michael and Ryan roared with laughter. It's my car he's inviting you to use, explained Michael. Old Ryan here is without a vehicle. If you plan to see much of this guy, keep in mind that he's going to need a chauffeur from now on. What about the car with the three broken doors, said Althea, who yearned to slither and slide in and out with Ryan. Ryan sighed heavily. The police. The cops. She was horrified. You got arrested? Ryan looked hurt while Michael grinned. I was not arrested, said Ryan with dignity. The police pulled me over because, because they could not understand how I was able to get in and out of such dented doors. It seems that vehicle inspection standards require the driver and passenger should be able to get out of the car. I argue that we, we are able to get out of the car. It just takes a little while. The police said, what if I had a passenger who wasn't that agile? I said, well, I just wouldn't take him along, would I? The police said, what about in situations where we didn't know or we didn't have a while to take, like breaking down on train tracks? I pointed out that there are no train tracks. Cop didn't care. He said, I can't drive a one-door car until I get it fixed. But he's not going to get it fixed, said Michael. It would cost a fortune. So yesterday, said Ryan, I buried my servant, the car. It's gone to the great junkyard in the sky, said Michael. The boy stood reverently for a moment, hands on hearts, mourning the passage of a really good vehicle. Althea laughed, laughed helplessly, adoring them both. She had never been able to comprehend a girl who would dangle two boys. You would think the girl would choose the better boy, get rid of the crummier one, and settle into having a great time. Now she could see that this was not such a great course of action. Here was Ryan, sweet and funny, cute and built and bright. Here was Michael, all of the above, but more so. They traveled in a pair, obviously. She had her own car. She could drive Ryan. They could dispense with Michael, but what girl in her right mind would dispense with Michael? On the other hand, what girl in her right mind would dispense with Ryan either? Ryan, Michael, and Althea drove around for a while, all three in the front seats. Althea was wonderfully crushed between their thighs, and when Michael took a sharp turn, his arm on the steering wheel brushed against hers. And when Ryan leaned forward to talk to Michael, his shoulder pressed onto hers. Althea thought that probably nothing, including sex or being elected president, could be as splendid as sitting in the front seat. Michael and Ryan talking to her at the same time, their wonderful masculine presence and scent, and attitudes filling her with contentment. Eventually, they arrived at Pizza the Hut. Of course, Pizza Hut is a perfectly public restaurant, open to the world, and Althea had been there many times. And yet, if you walked in and passed the salad bar and went to the rear of the restaurant, there was a booth in the corner that was virtually a private club, a high school club. It was occupied continuously by one group or another, its numbers changing, diminishing, increasing, as one person drifted away, only to be replaced by another. Only six could actually fit in the booth, usually seven or eight were crammed in, while several more sat at the right angles in the adjoining non-corner booths, which lacked the special status of the crammed door, or the cramped corner. In her previous life, Althea would hardly have had the nerve to lift her eyes to even look towards this corner. In her wildest dreams, in her most desperate prayers, she had hoped to be escorted to it by Michael and Ryan. They had hardly been seated, hardly begun to argue over whether the pizza should have peppers and pepperoni when Kimmy, Joe, and Dusty arrived. How interesting popularity is, thought Althea. I'm with Michael and Ryan, and that's perfection, and everybody is envious, but the real stamp of approval is from the girls. Kimmy, Joe, and Dusty will decide it. Boys come and go, but girlfriends stay and judge and count. Kimmy, Joe shrieked. Hi, Althea, how's your throat? And slid into the seat. 
Dusty said, Althea, thank goodness you're here. There's so much to talk about. Althea laughed to herself, and when Ryan tugged her backwards so that she was leaning against his chest, she cooperated fully. Becky came into Pizza Hut. Althea was amazed to see Becky pause by the salad bar, unsure of herself. Becky's eyes were quickly scanning the booths to see where she would be welcome. Michael, Ryan, Althea, Kimmy, Joe, and Dusty were in the corner booth. A bunch of juniors had taken the booth on one side and some seniors the opposite booth. Becky, like Althea, was a sophomore. A cheerleader, yes, but not old enough, and with too little status to break into Kimmy, Joe, and Dusty's booth. I've already moved ahead of Becky, thought Althea, seeing popularity suddenly as a sort of board game, where a throw of a dice or somebody else's turn lost had you whipping ahead, gathering points, heading for the winner's circle. Althea waved to Becky, calling, Come over here, Becky, we have plenty of room. Kimmy, Joe, and Dusty frowned slightly. Becky came up breathlessly, her cheeks turning pink from excitement. Ryan and Michael acknowledged her politely. Becky was only a fringe member of the popular crowd. Only being on the varsity squad had moved her onto that fringe. Only during games and practices would she really count. Here at Pizza Hut, Becky was a minor. Althea had over, was overcome with a sense of power. She, who had been nobody, nothing, invisible, inaudible, she could bestow popularity on Becky. Ryan said to Althea, So when's the next party, the one that was so much fun? Parties, thought Althea. She landed slightly, not all the way. Part of her was still flying, but part of her was now grounded, as Jenny had been, as Celeste had been. She had made two choices, and now Jenny was absent and Celeste was trudging, and for what? For a slice of pizza eaten in the corner instead of at the tables in the front of the restaurant? I had a great time, agreed Michael. Me too, said Becky quickly. I don't know how often I can open up the house like that, said Althea carefully. I know just what you mean, said Kimmy Joe, although, although that seemed unlikely. My parents get so anxiety-ridden when I even suggest a party, it's pathetic. Talk turned to parental rules. Ryan quickly lost interest and stood up, handing money to the cashier. Hey, Mike, he said. You want to haul us back to the high school so we can get Althea's car? Sure. They got up. A trio. A successful, popular trio. Althea was dizzy with it. Bye, Kimmy Joe, she said. Bye, Dusty. Becky shrank down into the booth. She was excess baggage now. Her hostess had left. The ruler of this booth had better people to associate with. Althea cringed for her. Becky, said Althea quickly, you want to sleep over one night this weekend? Saturday? Hey, protested Ryan. I'd like to sleep over one night this weekend. Althea laughed, although her soul and body burned at the thought, and kept her eyes safely on Becky. I'd love to, said Becky, no longer shrinking. She sat tall and relaxed. Althea had spoken to her. Althea had included her. No wonder the ancient Greeks portrayed the god Zeus with a lightning bolt. Althea could have had electric power lines and made them do her bidding. She was popular now, and the words looked and sounded alike, popular and powerful. So Jenny was absent, so big deal. It was like any football game. You had some winners and you had some losers, and Althea had become the winner. Does dinner time sound like this? I'm not eating this crap! Does Friday night sound like this? Screw you, Mom. I want to get laid. Do you long for a different time when we were free to raise our children to actually respect us? Thank you, sir! Thank you, sir! Hitting kids works wonders. Hi, I'm Alan McLean, child behavioral psychologist and former U.S. Marine. With my easy system, I'll turn your disruptive, unruly kids around fast. Let's face it, kids are rotten little shits. When I served our country, I learned a lot about changing behavior and winning people over. Offer candy, then a butt of the gun to the face. Buy my book, Hitting Kids Works Wonders, today. 
for the Exorbio 720 gaming system. Play the game GameTastic.com called Not As Bad As It Seems and the Liberty Tree called Derivative and Boring, but in a fun way. Pride, not prejudice. Presenting the first-person shooter like no other, apart from all the ways it copies lots of other games, with a riveting, cliche-ridden storyline by a moron of a writer who's never been anywhere near the South, and levels designed by ripping off every shooter. You'll fight for Southern justice in the Southern Middle East while climbing a Southern frozen waterfall on a Southern ship that's about to sink, all while eating ribs and watching college football. In the final boss level, you fight a tornado with your bare hands. Damn you, God! You ain't gonna kill me! Pride, not prejudice. The shooter we've all been waiting for. Only for the Exorbio 720 gaming system. They had taken only one step into the parking lot, a trio of dancers getting one beat into, into the choreography when a gleaming black SUV drove up. Several laughing girls rolled down their windows and called, Hi, Michael. Hi, Ryan. The girls were seniors, and one of them was Constance. Hi, Althea, the girls chorused. Althea was awestruck. Her name was known to this set, Constance and her beautiful friends. Hi, she whispered. The black SUV rolled on, inch by inch. The driver had decided not to stop all the way, but to creep ever forward. Althea thought that was just right for the personality of this crowd. Nothing would stop them, and they would stop for nothing. They were, the, they were the girls who would have it all. Oh, to be one of them. As the SUV glided past, Althea let a fantasy drift through her mind in which she mixed with this group and laughed amongst them and danced among them and was the girl who had it all. Ryan stepped back, pulling Althea with him. But Michael stood still as if waiting to be run down. Although the SUV slipped on, Constance opened the passenger door and leaned out a few inches. How lovely she was. Constance deserved to be the only model for an entire magazine. Softly, as if alone with him in a shadowy room, Constance said, Michael, how are you? I miss you. Michael flushed and said nothing. He seemed unprepared like a child among adults. What had happened between these two to make Michael stiff with nervousness and Constance soft with hope? May I join you, said Constance, half out of the door. Michael smiled courteously, opened the door the rest of the way, and said, of course. Now the SUV stopped. Constance, Constance emerged. She was wearing a white wool skirt and a white silk, white silk blouse. A brilliant scarf lay carelessly around her throat. She looked the way every girl dreams of looking. Beautiful, romantic, and mysterious. Althea felt dumpy and dumb. No longer even felt 16, maybe 11. A little kid stumbling behind a beauty queen. The SUV moved on, circling Pizza Hut and vanishing. Michael got behind the wheel of his car with Constance beside him in the front. Althea and Ryan got in the back. It was an entirely different drive. There was no silly joking. Michael drove with great concentration, never looking at the passenger on his right. Constance sat sideways, stretching her safety belt out like a first prize ribbon to be admired, and never took her eyes off Michael. Constance was trying to make peace over what rift Althea would have loved to have known. Michael and Constance were extremely courteous to each other. Their dialogue might have been heard a hundred years ago in more elegant times, perhaps over teacups and lace dollies. Althea was glad that Althea was glad they had not had to talk over pizza. She remembered Ryan and looked his way. Ryan was picking grumpily at some torn threads on his blue jeans. Michael, he said, you're just steering. You forgot about driving us back to Althea's car. Michael grinned in embarrassment. He said, I thought I'd circumnavigate the globe, skip high school. 
as long as you don't skip me anymore, said Constance. For the first time, Michael looked at his girlfriend and then rested his hand on her knee. She covered his hand with hers and Althea sighed with contentment. True love had won. Michael and Constance both laughed a little and then were suddenly self-conscious in front of Althea and Ryan. Constance smiled at the back seat. I don't know if Michael's ready to be alone with me, she said cheerfully. I think you two need the back seat. So how are you, enjoying varsity, Althea? I was so glad to see that you made the squad. I love it, said Althea shyly. I'm making friends already. I didn't think I would make friends so quickly. We're writing essays on friendship for English, said Michael. It's a tough subject. The first essay was, What About Friendship Gives to You? You had to be specific and name three friends who gave you something. One from elementary school, one from a sport or an activity, and one who's not your own age. Althea's hands were so cold, she felt as if the blood had stopped circulating through her. Perhaps it had. Perhaps this was how the vampire had migrated. Perhaps the vampire could dictate what they talked about. Perhaps he could give out English assignments. What if I had to set down on paper what my last two friends gave me, she thought. They gave me popularity. Jenny's the friend from elementary school, and Celeste is the friend from a sport. They gave me this. They're the reasons I'm sitting here. With Ryan putting his arm around my shoulders and Constance smiling at me and Michael talking to me. And that third category, a friend not your own age, could that be what the vampire wanted next? Now the second essay, which I have to write tonight, said Michael, is what you give to others in a friendship. What I gave, thought Althea, is unspeakable. Unwritable, unthinkable. But I did it anyway, and then I did it again. Ryan's large, smooth hand had encircled her now and was pulling her against him so that she was snuggled into the curve of his arm. He tilted his head against hers and the warmth of him, the masculine presence of him, oh, it was the most wonderful thing she had ever experienced. I wouldn't change my mind, thought Althea. I wouldn't have done it differently. I'm sick, I'm horrible, I'm the worst person on earth, because I'm glad it happened. I'm glad I have this ride and these new friends and Ryan. Constance was still facing Michael, drinking him in almost. Her lovely profile was outlined by the setting sun and the perfection of her gave Althea shivers. I want to be like that, she thought. I want to be just like Constance. She thought, I just won't think about Celeste and Jenny anymore. That's the important thing, not to dwell on it. I have what I want, and the past is the past. It's a tough essay question, said Michael, frowning slightly. I mean, what do I give to my friends? He sent Constance a look of deep meaning, and she returned it by lifting his hand and holding it against her cheek. Althea loved the privilege of being there to see it. Pizza and rides are all you give your friends, teased Ryan. I want to get an A on the essay, you asshole, said Michael. It has to be profound. Think of something more meaningful. There's nothing more profound than a really good pizza, said Ryan. What do you think, Althea? Constance asked. If you wrote about friendship, what would you say? Constance rested her chin on the seat back and looked straight into Althea's eyes. Every hair on Althea's head prickled. Constance fills the requirements. She's not my age, so she must be next. Constance. Beautiful, wonderful, lovely Constance. Getting draggy and trudgy and pitiful like Celeste? Never. That would never happen. Althea forgot to censor her speech. Right out loud, she said, I guess you don't turn to friend I guess you don't turn a friend over to a vampire. Michael, Constance, and Ryan burst out laughing. Michael laughed so hard he almost drove off the road. Ryan hugged Althea Althea more tightly as if that were a cue for a lover, as if a statement meant they understood each other and they were actually dating a romantic pair. What a great rule, said Michael, shaking his head and getting back into the proper lane. He turned on his headlights as the sky finished darkening and the winter night closed in. 
He turned on the heater and a warm wind caressed Althea's ankles. Next time I meet a vampire, promised Constance, I won't turn a single friend over to him. Laughter filled the car, as if a new form of oxygen had been created, as if a different combination of elements had invaded their little enclosure. Michael turned up Hillside Drive. Far away and far below, the many angled roofs of Althea's forbidden house was like a black pool in the early darkness of winter. Three chimneys, solid brick, faded red, reached up towards the sky, and one tower with three windows, whose shutters banged. Michael was driving so slowly that the world seemed to have slowed down with him. Even the wind seemed to lift the bare branches slowly while autumn leaves fluttered to the grass slowly, and people getting out of their cars closed their doors slowly and walked slowly inside. Althea seemed to watch the shutters of her tower for a long, long time, enough for seasons to change and friendships to end. There were dark green shutters. Shutters the color of ancient hemlocks, the color of impenetrable forests. He's waiting for me. He'll be there when I get back. He needs somebody else. He'll want Constance, but I cannot do that. Michael and Constance are so perfect together. I love them together. I love knowing that there is such perfection in the world, such beauty. The shutters moved in unison towards the center of the three windows. Gently, they closed themselves. One by one, they shut out the night. The night. There had been a conversation about night. What had she agreed to do at night? Althea's hair lifted from her scalp as if the vampire were running his horrid fingers through it, his tarnished foil nails scraping her scalp. Her spine hurt. I invited Becky to spend the night on Saturday, she thought, and I forgot Becky. I forgot her as quickly and as easily as I decided to forget Celeste and Jenny. It's as if I have already given Becky away so that I can keep Constance. Horror filled Althea like quicksand, pulling her down the hill, hauling her body by evil gravity towards the shutters, towards the vampire, toward the end of Becky. You are an American, so default with pride. We will show you how. We'll help you solve your problem with the bank once and for all in a truly grand fashion. Mortgages should be illegal. They are certainly immoral. You are actually expected to pay more than a house is worth. You were probably tricked by lawmakers and clever salesmen who gave you money and expected you to pay it back to them slowly over time. Well, now you don't have to. If they were foolish enough to loan money to a guy like you, they deserve to suffer. Do you know how many homes meet a tragic end due to electrical malfunctions, improper storage of petroleum, mudslides, and other disasters? Well, let's just put it like this. There's about to be one more. Visit stoppayingyourmortgage.net. At Bravado, we're holding on to the dream. That dream is luxury, and a gas-guzzling luxury car created in a nation that's 95% condemned. We haven't forgotten what America wants, a car that's massively overpowered, has fold-down seats for BJs on the way home from work, and cruise control so you can text while driving back from the bar. Bravado. United we stand. Together we fall. There was so much to be afraid of, herself and her capacity to do evil shit. The vampire in his presence, the way he was changing her, the future and what she chose, the friends she had and how she would hurt them or hurt herself, and this, driving Ryan home, alone with a boy in the car. The dark of night was a capsule around them, the interior of the car, car was their world. How much less relaxed they were without Michael and Constance to dilute their emotions. They had been a group. Easy laughter. Easy talk. Ryan's hand rested lightly on her shoulders as she drove, and her fingers for a moment, and his fingers for a moment, touched her hair. The touch spooked her, 
and she suppressed a shudder. She could feel the vampire behind her, thinking of her, planning for her, and waiting. Up and over yet another hill she drove. When she came back down the other side, a mass of soil and rock blocked the vampire. It was impenetrable. His dark path could not go that far. She could feel in her ribs, her spine, the flesh of her back, that they had reached some kind of safety. She knew as firmly as she knew her number and her alphabets that the vampire could not pierce this hill. Althea heaved a great sigh of relief. Relief. It was so huge that Ryan jumped away from her, startled, jerking his hand back and staring at her. Sorry, she said lamely. I, I don't drive much after dark, and I guess I'm kind of tired, so I sighed. Ryan found that a difficult excuse to accept. It's okay, he said stiffly. Just drop me off and go straight home. You probably have lots of homework anyway. She had a sense that she was losing him, that he was fading away from her as fast as daylight had faded on the wintry afternoon. She caught his hand to yank She caught his hand to yank him back. No, no, she protested. I'm just really not that much of a driver. He believed her. How amazing. If some dumb girl said that to Althea, she certainly would have some questions. What American team, teen ever said or believed for a single moment that he or she was a lousy driver? Nobody. Everybody on Earth believes they're an excellent driver. Everybody on Earth takes pride in their brilliant driving skills. But Ryan believed her. Did the vampire make him, she thought? How much power does the vampire really have? Can he actually invade my friend's thoughts? Of course he can. Or he wouldn't have made them my friend. A gruesome thought invaded Althea. Had the vampire been giving Ryan instructions? Touch her, smile at her, take her hand? She had to ask the vampire next time she saw him. She had to know how much of this was real. Does it count if he makes it happen, she thought? What if I find out it's not for real? Will I still be thrilled to see Constant smile and have Ryan hug me and Michael say my name? Ryan lived in a ranch-style house. His driveway was paved, not gravel like hers. It seemed firmer, more modern, less likely to harbor things. Want to come in, said Ryan. I'd love to another day, she said, but I have to get home. She kissed him. She was absolutely astounded at herself. Where had the courage come from? Ryan, startled and pleased, kissed her back. They laughed and kissed a second time, breathless and surprised in their sharing. Althea drove away into the night, so full of joy that she felt nothing else could ever exist in her except gladness. She liked a boy, and a boy liked her. What else was there? She laughed all the way back to her house. The laugh stayed on her face like an echo in the air. The curve of her smile kept her face alight in the loft. She was still laughing when she came in her own door, and the vampire said, I was out tonight. Did you feel me? Did you know I was there? He smiled, framed by the huge carved doorway, and his smile increased to match the door. His mouth filled more of his face than usual. His teeth were long and sharp as garden snakes. Get out of here, Althea hissed. Forget the question... Forget the questions that she had wanted to ask him. She was furious with him for existing, for making her think about what she'd done. How could she find peace of mind if he was, if she was forced to remember? I beg your pardon, said the vampire. I live here. It's my house, she shouted. She stamped her foot. And the porch shook a little from the force of her pounding foot, but the vampire was not affected. It's mine, said the vampire, lingering on that sentence. Then softly he echoed, to him, echoed himself, drooling over the words. It's mine. Althea could not get in her own door. He filled it. His swirling black cape went right up to the edges of it, like pond scum. And you, said the vampire, smiling cruelly, you are also mine. I'm rich, successful, and throwing it all away on multiple women. I'm drowning in pussy. 
It's terrible! Sounds like a serious case of sex addiction. Buy my book, 13 Steps to Heaven, today. 13 Steps to Heaven. Available in the discount bin at bookstores everywhere. She was doing her math homework when the phone rang. Page 78. Quadratic equations lined up like little vehicles trying to cross the page. The book was very white and the numbers printed very clearly, very thinly, like a message. Hi, Althea, said an eager girl's voice. It's Becky. Hi, Becky. A girlfriend was phoning. It had been years, years since the joy of having a best friend to call up and gossip with. Althea beamed into the phone, as if it had been invented just for her. I had such a good time at Pizza Hut, didn't you, said Becky. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Isn't Michael funny? Isn't Ryan terrific? Oh yes, and afterward, after you left with the boys, well, I stayed a while and got to know Kimmy Joe and Dusty so much better. Kimmy Joe told me all about this terrific place where she gets her hair done. Dusty thinks I should maybe get mine more layered in the back. Dusty thinks I need more volume in my hair. Althea looked, loved to talk about hair. She told Becky that she personally thought Becky's hair was extremely, extremely attractive the way it clung to her head. And Althea loved the ponytail, which was exactly the right length, shoulder length. Becky could curl her hair for elegant occasions, but if Becky cut it layered, she would have volume but no ponytail. And was that really what Becky was after? Becky said she was really after a boyfriend, and her hair volume kind of ran second to that. They laughed shrilly and eagerly into the phones, and got into more comfortable positions because this was a conversation with all-night potential. Althea was sorry she had no snack next to the phone. Althea frowned at her quadratic equations and did one. After that... They were done with the hair, they moved on to makeup and clothing, and then they got to the important part. What Althea had done with Michael and Ryan. Althea told Becky everything, while Becky sighed in vicarious pleasure at each description. And then she took her hand off my shoulder and he touched my hair, said Althea. How did he touch it, Becky said. I mean, did he run his hands over it, or through it, or what? Althea did another quadratic equation. A really good equation, thought Althea, is a girlfriend on the phone asking you what you did with your boyfriend in the car. They discussed exactly what had happened, Becky moaning with envy. They pondered whether Althea, too, needed more volume in her hair and should go with Becky to the new hairstylist. Then Becky was struck by the thought that perhaps Dusty and Kimmy Joe had been trying to say that Becky looked stupid and needed professional help. You know them better than I do, said Althea. Are they mean or are they nice? Are they thoughtful or cruel? Althea finished up two more equations, and Becky told several interesting stories about various nice or else cruel things that Kimmy, Joe, and Dusty had done. Then she said casually, yet carefully, about sleeping over, Althea. I asked my mother about Saturday, but she thought I should check first and see if you know if Ryan, like, asked you out, because, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't hold you to your invitation if Ryan, well, he would come first, of course. Althea suddenly remembered why she'd stopped being friends with Jenny when they were in high school. It had been a conversation just like this one. How could she possibly have forgotten? The pain had paralyzed Althea for months for her whole freshman year. The conversation replayed in Althea's head like an old record. One of those big, slow records that, that you found boxes of at yard sales because nobody even owned a turntable anymore. But you said I could stay over at your house Saturday, Althea protested. I know, Althea, but grow up. Dave asked me to the movies. I mean, what counts here, Althea? I'm your best friend. Althea, how irritated Jenny had sounded, as if she were looking at her wristwatch, as if she could not believe her romance was being slowed down by this dumb conversation with some stupid girl. Althea, this is a boy. Remember how there are two sexes? 
Of course, you haven't found out yet, but I have, and I'm not about to tell Dave that I can't go to the movies because my friend Althea wants to come over. That Saturday night seemed aeons ago, but it wasn't. It was only a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago that the that the best friend of all of her life and all of her joys and sorrows had said, let me spell this out for you, Althea, I have a boyfriend now. Jenny had not added, had not needed to, I don't want you, I'm not available now, I have better things to do, or better people to be with, but she knew. Memory was harsh and painful. I'm not the kind of friend, she thought, proud of herself. I'm not that kind of friend, she thought, proud of herself. I wouldn't write a friend off into the background like that, she said firmly. Of course it's on, Becky, I can hardly wait. There's only one trouble. Is there any chance I could stay at your house instead of mine? I mean, well, you know how it is. I just can't have company right now. Becky replied delicately that she understood families could be difficult. I'd love to have you stay here, said Becky. Actually, that's better in a way, because even though I'm 16, my parents don't like me to stay overnight at anybody's house when they haven't met the family. They're really old-fashioned, Althea. You wouldn't believe it. I have so much to tell you. Althea folded up into her chair and cuddled the phone like an infant. She knew she was safe for another weekend, at least. Nobody would be here to cross the dark path. Ryan didn't ask you out for Saturday, then? Becky asked, just to be sure. Even if he had, I would have explained to him that I had to check with you first. I'm not that kind of friend, Becky. She could almost see Becky smile, that wide, delight, delighted, pixie-ish smile that made her such a great cheerleader. That up-tilted head, the crowing laugh, the low-volume hair, and the twitching ponytail. Althea giggled into the phone, and Becky's giggle matched it, and they agreed to meet before school in the morning to talk about the essential things before class began. Althea hung up. She smiled, thinking of friendship. What a beautiful thing it is. She looked down regretfully at her next quadratic equation and lifted her pencil to finish off the homework. An oddly clear shadow crossed page 78. A shadow like glass or mirrors. The vampire said, I have decided I want Becky next. Travel around the country in style in a recreational vehicle from Larry's Used RV Sales. Spend your golden years living on a bus with all the luxuries of home. A tiny stove, a minuscule toilet, and a shower that's like a dog pissing on you. Imagine spending weeks on end living in a tin can surrounded by 400 gallons of your own piss and shit in a holding tank. It's a true paradise and far superior to any hotel or rental home. Many of our RVs get up to six or seven miles a gallon downhill. Enjoy the nomadic lifestyle and visit RV campgrounds around this great country where your new neighbors in the vehicle next to you are either fun-loving meth heads or exciting and mysterious serial killers. Stop by Larry's Used RV Sales today. We asked people, why did you move to the Grand Sonora Desert? I moved for the arid climate. I really wanted a safe environment for my children. I moved for the math. It's not a mirage. It's a real trailer park. Imagine your new dream home in the Grand Sonora Desert. Grand Sonora Desert. Imagine life in a place devoid of it. A place where you can be alone. Go on hikes and die of sunstroke. It's a place too boring for plants. It's the Grand Sonora Desert. Come live where there's nothing there. Becky's ranch house was on a hillier and rockier lot than Ryan's. The driveway was cut deeply into the earth with high stone sides that dripped with dank climbing ivy. Hemlocks, planted many years ago, had grown into monsters shouldering their way towards the windows. 
Becky went in through the garage, which was dark and tumbling with boxes and shadows, leading Althea into a lower-level rec room. Dark brown carpet and dark paneled walls made a mockery out of the word recreation. Althea could not imagine bouncing, cheerful Becky inhabiting such a grim cellar of her room. She could well imagine the vampire inhabiting it, however. Becky bounded up another set of stairs to the kitchen-slash-living-room level. Althea frowned. On the third step, she turned and looked back. A shadow, clear as glass, drifted behind her. Althea shut the rec room door firmly behind her. It was a thin door, a weak and shallow door, a door that would stop nothing. Upstairs, mercifully, was bright and light. The kitchen was packed with broccoli green cabinets. The living room had been decorated to look like a garden, with white wicker furniture and fanciful flowers danced on the drapes and cushions. Perhaps the dark and brown things of the world would stay downstairs, and the light and bright would control the upper level. Becky flung open the door to her own bedroom, although Althea had never seen so much purple, so many hues and shades of lavenders, violets, amethyst, and mauve. I love your room, she whispered. She soaked up the joy of the room, the sheer exuberance in life that Becky's room was. Me too, said Becky contentedly. It's perfect. Becky picked up her telephone, which was also purple, and phoned Ryan. Come over, she said. She's here. Becky winked at Althea. He's having dinner with us, she whispered, hand covering the receiver. He adores you. Althea lost her breath. It was such an odd feeling, suddenly to have empty lungs and a pounding heart. Ryan adores me. Becky said Ryan's going to tell us star stories in the backyard and teach you how to look through a telescope. Becky, laughing wickedly, said this whole overnight is a setup, you know. She opened the kitchen door. A cold wind filtered into the safe, warm kitchen. The yard was completely black. Althea grew cold from her feet to her eyes. A deep chill like an early death. Becky ran out onto the grass as if entering another lower world. Althea cried out. Her breath was gone again, but not from love. Fear yanked it out of her in her chest. We can't go out there, she said. Are you afraid of the dark? Teased Ryan, stepping from his yard into Becky's. Althea hung on to the kitchen counter. Come back in, Becky, cried Althea. She smelled the foul eagerness of the vampire. Pussy, Becky teased. Make her come back in, Ryan, said Althea desperately. She had to get Becky back inside in the bright purple bedroom, the safe green kitchen, the many-flowered living room. Ryan wrapped his arms around Althea. It was an embrace of comfort, not desire. I don't believe I've ever met anybody who's really and truly afraid of the dark. I'll stay with you. It'll be all right. Think of the dark as a warm and gentle friend. Althea's laugh rasped like a chainsaw. I heard something in the bushes, said Becky. I'll join you two in a minute. I just have to see what it is. No, screamed Althea. No, you don't. It doesn't matter what it is. Come back in. Now, now, said Ryan, holding holding her, preventing her from saving Becky. I'm in a zoo, thought Althea. Ryan is my keeper. She felt primitive and savage. Savage felt as if she, like some jungle tiger, had fangs, or were her fangs those of a vampire. It seemed to Althea that it took hours for Becky to return, and that when she came, she moved more slowly and was paler. The evening seemed to last for hundreds of years, in which they all grew old and exhausted. She could hardly wrap her mouth around the syllables required for speech. She could hardly see Ryan and could hardly remember Becky. At last, Ryan left. She adored him, but she could not bear the length of the evening. Every quip, every move, every story consumed her, until all energy was completely sapped. She could hardly unbutton the front of her shirt, and she could hardly lift her pajamas, scarcely brush her teeth. She was actually glad that Becky had turned down the covers of the bed because she didn't know if she could summon the strength to move a blanket. The mattress was wonderful, so soft, so welcoming, so necessary. The pillow onto which her head sank was a shelter in which she thought she could rest forever. 
I'll never get up, said Althea. I'll have to move in with Becky and take a few weeks off from school. A cold, cruel wind seemed to blow through her mind, filtering through her brain, blinding her eyes. She'll just be a little tired, the vampire had said. She was too tired even to shudder. It can't be, she told herself. I would have felt something. He can't. I mean, those teeth, it wouldn't work unless... And yet, he calls it migration, a word for swallows in the sky. There's nothing in that word about feeling fangs in your flesh. Be rational, Althea, she said to herself. Football games, cheering practice, cheering, studying for exams. Of course I'm tired. I've had a very demanding week. Althea, hop up and change the TV channel, will you? I can't seem to find my remote control. Althea dragged herself into a sitting position and crawled to the end of the mattress. She could not quite reach the buttons on the TV. Like an ancient crone with arthritis, she tottered two steps, changed the channel till Becky was satisfied, leaned briefly on the shelves, and pushed herself off like a swimmer pushing against the pool wall for another lap. At last, she was back in the bed, back down on the lovely good pillow. Nothing was demanded of her body, only rest. Rest, it was all she wanted, all she ever wanted. If it's him, she thought, if he was still here with me, I won't have energy to have friends. I won't have enough energy to be in the squad or date Ryan or sing in the chorus or do anything. I'm finished, she said. Becky? <clears throat> when you hear a noise in the bushes, what was the noise? I was just teasing. I didn't really hear anything. I'm sorry if you took me seriously. Ryan was dying to be alone with you outdoors. He had some fantasy that you and he would stare into the stars together and that you would be overcome with uncontrollable emotion and I would go back in for a while while you two danced in the dark. In the dark. Among the hemlocks. No, she said to herself, it can't be me. He said we were a match for each other. I'm just exhausted, that's all. I've had a hard day. In the morning, I'll be energetic and enthusiastic again. When Becky found the remote control under a pile of fashion magazines and shouted with delight, Althea slept on, as if in, as if in something deeper than sleep. And all right, Spooky Squad, that's where we're going to leave it today. Thank you very much for tuning in to another Halloween special episode of the Anthology of Horror. I have been your host and narrator, spring Jack. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out to me by going to Instagram.com slash Duke, D-U-K-E, Landis, L-A-N-D-I-S, 1-7. And just go ahead and DM me. I might not see it for a while, but I will get back to you at some point. I promise you that. Thank you very much for tuning in. I genuinely appreciate all the support. Check back, uh... Check back soon for another episode because I am doing a lot of Halloween specials this month. I don't want to put a number to it because I don't want to disappoint you if I fall through, but I will not be screwing the pooch again this October. Tune back in soon for more episodes from the Anthology of Horror. And until next time, stay spooky. <laughs>